Amen. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Heidi, Melissa, thank you so very much. You grab your Bibles. Join me in Psalm chapter 116. Psalm chapter 116. If you join me there, it's good to be back again, as I said earlier. Good to be behind the pulpit. And uh, it's hard to believe it's not been since uh, Missions Conference. And so looking forward to starting this Sunday. I, I like to think of this Sunday onward through Christmas, New Year's as the seasonal stretch as we focus in on the seasons and you know how it is. Before you and I know it, New Year's will be here, and uh, we'll be like, where did December and half of November go? And so uh, this next few weeks, it's so much hustle and bustle and things happening between Thanksgiving and then Christmas and, and so forth. And yet I love the, the ability for you and I to focus on what these holidays mean. And so today, this morning's message is simply entitled this, A Life of Thanksgiving, A Life of Thanksgiving, that we'll see and uh, derive from Psalm chapter 116. Psalm chapter 116, we really don't know who the author is. It it isn't very clear, even historically, there's not much uh, told about that, nor do we know when it is written. Now, there's great supposition between theologians, historians, as to when this might be written and commentaries. Uh, Some would say that it was written uh, when some of the Jews returned from Babylon, whether the the first uh, group that came back or soon after. Some uh, believe that it was a much later date, well past the exile and that somebody put together this psalm and and wrote it Uh, others believe that actually it was hezekiah if you remember king hezekiah and uh, uh, they believe it was written during that time in his life when he was childless and the lord sent note to him you're you're facing death get your house in order Uh, that's not the kind of mail you want to receive amen and uh, that's yet what he faced and so he was thinking about the end of the davidic line and so forth some believe maybe he wrote it and it was during that dark and lonely hour that Psalm 116 was penned. But we likely will not know who the author was when it was written, this side of heaven. But what we do know is as we read these verses, and there's just a 19 of them here. When we read these verses, what becomes extremely clear is we see the heart of this psalmist kind of laid bare. It says, if you and I are gazing into his eyes, uh, what we often call the windows of the soul, and we are gaining entrance into his heart and seeing what makes up this psalmist. What, What really makes up his heart? It's interesting. It's a greatly personal psalm. You say, how do we know it's so personal? Well, in just 16 verses of this psalm, you realize he references himself 37 times. It's very much a, a look inside at himself and his life. And it's kind of a reflection upon what his life is. But don't mistake it. It's not a preoccupation with self. It's not a self-promoting psalm. It's rather a personal acknowledgement of his own great dependence upon God. And what comes from this, that recognition of his intervention, God's intervention in his life, it produces a glorious shout of thanksgiving because of God's great deliverance and the grace that has been bestowed upon him. So don't miss it. This little psalm is written by a psalmist, as we'll refer to him, an author who, who looks in his life and he says, now wait a minute, let's take some time for reflection. He's looking over his life and he says, listen, when it boils down, when my life comes down to it, this is what my life is about. This is all that matters. And my goodness, isn't it good in a week leading up, the Sunday before a week of Thanksgiving, a time of reflection, 
I think it's good for you and I to pause and say, okay, if I were to boil down my life, what, what would be left? What, what would be the meat of it? What would be the thing that is left there? Now, I, I read Psalm 116, and as even last night going over things, I, I couldn't help but think, my goodness, this psalm just speaks to your heart. It, it is that reflection and that recognition of my, my God is a great God. Now, listen, I, I, the Lord laid this on my heart. I mean this last night. I was thinking, you know what? You and I are privileged to read a song like this, but how many of us here in the days ahead, the months ahead, before we leave this earth, we ought to write a similar song. We ought to write about our own life's experiences and most importantly of how our dependence upon God was really the focus of our lives so that the generations that come, your children and your children's children and your children's children's children can read that when your life is boiled down, what was there, what was the meat of it was a great dependence of God and even greater than that dependence was the faithfulness of that God. I got you through everything. Oh, how it would be great to hear at a funeral in the future. It's interesting because in this passage we read, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now wouldn't it be great in the funerals ahead here at Fostoria Baptist Church, there's a child, a grandchild that pulls out a sheet of paper and they were to say, my my grandmother, my grandfather, my father, my mother wrote this. Just a little summarization, just a little capitalization of a, uh, their life in a capsule. And they read and it speaks of similar things as this psalm. Let, let's see what this psalm says. You know, let you and I be challenged. Uh, what am I passing on to the generations to come? Notice it if you will. Look at verse number one. He says this, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. What a great start. We're going to title it simply this. And oh, the first point would be, and there we go, the psalmist's bold proclamation. The psalmist's bold proclamation. It's an unusual beginning, isn't it? To start right off with this opening statement, it's abrupt, but it leaves no doubt of where the heart of the psalmist is. It's a bold confession of love for the Lord, a loud proclamation of where his love lies. Uh, I love the Lord. Can you say that today? Is the first thing out of your lips, I love the Lord. Oh my, many of us are tired, we're a little weary, we're busy with many things. But have you said today, man, I sure do love the Lord. I love the Lord. I think of old. I, I like how he starts the psalm because it reminds me of old and, and uh, times when uh, pirates and navies sh- uh, sailed the seas and, and ships that had sails. And often when they see another ship, they would make sure that what they would call they'd run up the colors. In other words, they put up the flag telling others what they were and who they were. They, they would proclaim loudly and clearly, hey, this is who we are. We're pirates. Or, okay, or we're of the Royal Navy or whatever the case may be. They'd run up the colors to declare, uh, we're with them. We're of this flavor. And I love the psalmist. The psalmist, he starts right off, he says this, I love the Lord. There's no question of where his loyalty lies, if we could put it that way. I love it when when Christians do the same thing. When they, as a Christian, those around them can deduce right away 
that they are a follower of Jesus Christ, that they love the Lord. They boldly proclaim it. The Christian does. Why? Because they will, they will speak of the Lord. Or maybe they even read their Bible at work and a coworker walks in and they're at the, uh, the break time. There's a Christian who has his Bible open. And, and uh, oh, sometimes it's derogative, isn't it? I, I've had that before. They walk in, oh, you're one of those. But what are we doing? We're declaring, I love the Lord. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm, a, uh, I'm one of those Christians, an imitator of Christ. Maybe there's a Christian student who carries his Bible in a public school. Maybe uh, with them wherever they go in school. Maybe it's the one who speaks of what the Bible teaches and speaks of the principles found within the Scripture to a coworker, a family member, a, a fellow student at school. Maybe it's simply entering into a restaurant or somewhere and you, or even at work and you bow your head and you pray. Declaring that my dependence is upon someone greater than I or you. I am looking to the God of heaven, the creator of all, the sovereign supreme of the universe. And I love the Lord, the psalmist says. He declares it. I've read stories of Christian soldiers who uh, certainly facing at times persecution, being in the armed forces and facing at times those who are not friendly to Christians and so forth, uh, determining that once they are assigned a new post, when they arrive at the barracks, the very first thing they do is put their Bible on the bed so that all will see and know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I will not participate in the things that you do. I, I, I will follow what His Word says. It's a declaration. It's a proclamation that I am following the Lord. Let me ask you this. Hey, believer, what do you do in your life right now that declares that you love the Lord? What is it in your actions and the things and how you live on a daily basis? We've entitled this message, A Life of Thanksgiving. What tells others that the very life you, leave, you live is a, is a life of thanksgiving, that in your heart there is nothing but gratitude and thankfulness to a God in heaven that produces a dependence upon Him? How do you tell others, like the psalmist here, in the way that you live, I love the Lord? Boy, if we can't say something, if something doesn't immediately come to our minds, maybe it's because our heart isn't like the psalmist, full of love. And he starts it out, I love the Lord. (laughs) My heart is full of that. Maybe it's not full of, our heart is not full of gratitude for the Lord as it should, as is obvious uh, the case with the psalmist here. So we must ask, what, what produces such a bold statement? Why does the psalmist start out this, this little uh, section of Scripture with that statement, I love the Lord? Where does this gratitude come from? Well, verse 1 already kind of opened our eyes a little bit to it, but look at verses 2 through 8. Notice what he writes. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Verse 3, the sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell gat hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Verse 4, then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our Lord is merciful. Verse 6, the Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. 
For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. Number two, the psalmist's bold proclamation. But number two, what is the psalmist's basis for that proclamation? Why does he want the world to know? And when his life's boiled down, it is, I love the Lord. Why is that the case? What, what produced that? We said this is a personal psalm because he's proclaiming the goodness of his personal God. We've preached on it before, but I love the, uh, the nearness and the dearness of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's a personal God. The psalmist here, he states what? Well, you've inclined your ear unto me. I've stated it this way, and I I want you to never forget it. My friend, you always, always, always have God's attention. You always. I've told you before, and I've used it, but it's it's silly illustration, but it's oh so true. You know, there's so many times when we as parents and we're we're doing a million things at once, right? And and uh, especially have multiple children and trying to do a thing, and and boy, you want the, the child wants your attention. I've told you before. I've had kids before grab me by the cheeks, and go look at me. One of my own kids, look at me. Listen to me. Get their attention, and and knowing that I probably wouldn't hear them otherwise. You know what? You don't have to do that with God because you always have his attention. He's always listening. And beyond that, he is an intensely personal God. He hears your voice. And think about it. Of the millions and millions of voices on earth, he knows your voice. When you pray to him, all right, hey, Gabriel, which one of these Christians is praying right now? Who's that guy? No, 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 no. Your God knows your voice. Again, I've used the illustration not to repeat, but boy, mothers seem especially uh, talented at picking out their child's cry. Fifteen babies can be in the nursery. One baby's crying. Down the hallway, the mother goes, oh, that's mine. Just able to pick out that voice. Can I tell you, God in heaven knows you by your voice. He hears your voice. In fact, in that first verse, the word heard in Hebrew, it means much more than as we would define the word heard. It, it literally means certainly to hear it, but it also means to listen to it intently. You have my attention. And he also speaks in this psalm of the fact that he answers your voice. And aren't you glad? And I've said this before, not to be facetious. Aren't you glad that you don't get a busy signal when you call God? aren't you glad that he hears your voice he listens and and aren't you thankful today for the many answers to prayer you've enjoyed your god has inclined his ear unto you he's listened he's heard and he's answered those prayers verse three tells us that the psalmist is like you and i he he goes through difficult times dramatic times perilous times personally he says, the sorrows or death were all around me. They surrounded me. He suffered greatly in his life. We don't know what it is. Hezekiah, whoever it may be. Maybe a Jew who was taken to exile. Maybe David. We really don't know. But he suffered. And did you state his statement? And, and, and boy, there's some of us today. Someone asked you, how was your week this past week? And, and in your heart, you wanted to say it was nothing but trouble and sorrow. But you said, fine, <laughs> in the good Baptist way. But you want to say, oh, no, it's terrible. This fell apart. This happened. Sorrow and trouble. That's literally what the psalmist says in this verse. I found trouble and sorrow. And life's difficult. 
You, you can think Adam and Eve. You can think sin and the consequences of it. This life can be difficult, tough at times, and, and overwhelming. That can happen. But what comes to the surface is this. In verse 4, he says, Then, in that moment, I called upon the name of the Lord. You know what he's saying? And I'm so thankful for this. I remember that I am not alone. There's a God in heaven who's with me. There's a God in heaven who knows my sorrow, my trouble. He noticed that death compasses me about. He is the one that I can cry unto. He is the one that not only do I can I cry unto, but he hears me and he listens and he responds. He could call upon his Lord and know that he would hear him and answer him. I love what Christ said when he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And you can imagine when Jesus Christ began to many times over, and the disciples didn't pick up on it yet, but he began telling them and reminding them, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to leave. The, the time's coming. I will no longer be with you. And, and certainly they would have struggled with that and, and wrestled with him. And we know they didn't want him to go. And Peter said, no, Lord, don't go. And oh, their hearts were torn. And he wanted to provide some comfort. And so he spoke of the Holy Spirit coming and. I love one of the statements he makes about when the Holy Spirit came, would come. He said this, in in the book of John, John chapter 14, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. But Jesus, you said you're going, you said you're leaving us. Oh yes, but uh, God's still going to be with you, God the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you. And I love that statement before. I will not leave you comfortless. You'll always have a source of comfort with you. I'll always be there. I'll walk through the valleys with you. I'll go through the trouble and the sorrow. I'm just a prayer away. All you've got to do is cry out to me. Can you see why the psalmist started it? I love the Lord. Because every step of the, every path I look back in my life, there's the Lord with me. And I cried out to him then, he heard me. I cried out here and he heard me. He was there with me in the midst of all my sorrow, all my hurt, all my trouble. See, John chapter 14, verse 18, is a promise for every Christian from the very lips of our Savior. And this psalmist says, there were times I cried for deliverance. And God responded, He answered. And so He concluded in verse 2. Did you catch it? And I hope this marks your life. I hope your children can stand up at your funeral. I hope your grandchildren can stand up at your funeral. They'll say something like verse number 2 of this truth. Therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. What a great testimony. If there's one thing I knew about dad, if there's one thing I knew about mom, they called upon God their entire life. They never stopped praying. They never stopped depending on God. God was their, their anchor, their rock. He was the one they looked to. He was their all in all. Verse number 8 speaks of the reality of the deliverance he, he, he enjoyed. Did you catch it? It's so poetic. He says this, you delivered my soul from death. Certainly salvation, no doubt. He goes, you're, you delivered my eyes from tears. Aren't you grateful for the graciousness of God that prevents you and I from facing greater sorrow? He delivered my eyes from tears. And he, note this. He delivered his feet from falling. He delivered his feet from falling. It was God who helped him not to falter and fail. And it was God who helped him up when he himself fell in ways. I think it's true that we can say that he found what Christ said about God the Father in Matthew chapter 7 to be so very true. 
Now, this is really what the psalmist is reiterating here early on. But Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, we read this. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And I love this, this analogy. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Now, I've often wanted to put that verse into practice, go home at lunch and, and serve a plate to my sons, put a stone on there. You know, just for a scriptural illustration. Uh, who would do that? No one would. Your son wants bread. They're hungry. You don't say, well, go out in the yard, eat some stones. Oh, you don't say that. Will he give him a stone? No. That obviously rhetorical question. Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If your name's Joe Engelman, you might give him serpents. He likes to hand out all kinds of stuff, especially around missions conference. <laughs> but would you give him a serpent if they ask for a fish? No, you wouldn't do that. And then the comparison is this. If ye, the being sinful. Now, don't get confused by that word evil and say, oh, I'm not evil. No, no. If you and I, a sinful nature beings, if you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? A loving, good God. You see, the psalmist, he said, I received good gifts. I've gotten great things from the hand of God. In verse number five, what he said, God is gracious. God is righteous. God is merciful. I've gotten so many good things. And don't miss this one. This thrills my heart. He also says this. You know what one of those good gifts is? He, he puts it this way, and you see it in the verse. God preserves the simple. God preserveth the simple, the ignorant. Now, that's not in a bad way, okay? It literally is speaking of those who are preserved and protected in ways they don't even grasp. He protects the simple. You don't see the danger coming. You don't see it. And how many times have you and I maybe protected a child and and they were like on an edge and they don't even see it. We grab them. They don't even realize you saved their life. Or you pull them out from in front of the car or something. They have no clue that you just saved their life. Can I tell you, aren't you thankful for a God in heaven that preserves the simple? You know, there may have been, and likelihood is, there was one of us who were driving this week and could have easily been in an accident, but God prevented it. He preserves the simple. You may have never known it. And how many times, boy, I just wonder when I get to heaven, we'll look back on our life and we'll see how God preserved us at times we had no clue about. We didn't even realize. That God protected us. And maybe there was a time of weakness. And I can just imagine a time of weakness spiritually. We all have them. Those low moments, those times where, boy, the flesh is weak. Spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. And Satan was on the prowl. And boy, if he had attacked in that moment, if he had been given free reign, you would have probably been defeated. We would have been defeated. And yet God stayed the hand of the devil. Preserving the simple. Psalmist realized, man, as I look back on my life, it could have been so much worse. So many things could have gone so wrong, but God preserved me. He protected me in ways I've never understood, I've never seen, and won't see this side of heaven. See, the psalmist personally found true that times when we've been brought low, as the verse says, He helped me. Man. 
the lowest moments of life, discouraging news, disappointments, expectations unfulfilled, and our heart is low, our soul is oppressed. In those moments, we have a God in heaven who helps us. We put it this way, and he goes on in verse 7. He, he, he alludes to this truth. There's a rest to be found in dependence upon a faithful God. He calls it a rest for my soul. Man, when I was laid low, you helped me. The psalmist is really saying simply this, concluding, he is worthy of our gratitude and thanksgiving. He is worthy of my love, verse number one, because each one of us can say, as the psalmist does here in this verse, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. And as I look back over my life, I found him faithful. I love that word because it's a thanksgiving word, right? Bountifully. Some of, you, some of us here, we're going to eat bountifully this week. More so than we probably should. We look back on our lives, and can I tell you? Our God wasn't just faithful. He was bountifully faithful. Beyond our wildest imagination, beyond what we could even ask for, and yet he is there and faithful, bountifully dealing with us. And, and my friend, can I tell you right now, maybe you've had a rough year. Maybe this pandemic junk has, has, has just saying, sapped your, your dependence on God, your thankfulness, your gratefulness. It has, it has just kind of stolen it from you. I love what he says in verse number seven. He says this, return unto thy rest. O soul. I mean, some of you haven't had peace. You haven't been settled. Yet you've been worked up. Your soul has not had rest and peace because you've kind of gotten away from looking to God and depending on Him. Realizing that, man, when I'm laid low, there's no one like God. He inclines His ear unto me. He is gracious. He is righteous. He is merciful. He is a God that is ever-present he has not left me alone, and yet so often we leave him. We get full of anxiety and worry and we concern and we try to handle things ourselves and we try to, uh, uh, to make something of it, but we make a mess of it. And so the psalmist says, boy, there was times in my life I had to remind myself, maybe the Holy Spirit reminded me, return unto thy rest, O soul. Right now, this day, you may not have rest because everything's in your hands. You're trying to handle it. You're trying to do it. Can I just encourage you? You have a God that will incline His ear unto you. That's ready to hear and listen and answer. Would you just return to your rest today? As we head into this Thanksgiving week and this time of giving thanks and gratefulness to our God in heaven, you know, there's some of us right now, this morning, need to say, oh, return, soul. Return unto thy rest. Go back to the God who is your everything. You see, when you, when you can say, when you and I can say that uh, that's in our heart and truly mean it as we say it, it produces in us this life of thanksgiving. Real quick, what does the psalmist say this life of thanksgiving looks like? Uh, we've seen this, this uh, bold proclamation. We've seen the basis for the proclamation. And now, number three, I want you to see the psalmist's response to the benefits proclaimed. Here's my proclamation. I love the Lord. He is my everything, my all in all. Here is why, the basis for it. And then he says, here's my response. Here's that, what that life of Thanksgiving looks like based on those benefits. There's six parts to it. 
There's five I wills, and one of them's repeated. And there's, there's one I am that he gives us in the rest of Psalm 116. Look at verse number nine, if you will, with me. He says this, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What's he saying? Well, he's simply stating that he will walk on this earth. He will go on this journey called life with his eyes on God because God's eyes are on him. God's watching over me. He hears my voice amidst all the other voices. He knows me personally. He is a God that is ever there, and I'm going to walk before him. Literally, we would call it this way. It is a life of submission. In other words, I'm going to walk and live in such a way that pleases him. I'll consider and follow his ways. Okay, so obviously for you and I, the easiest way to know God's heart, His will, His way, is His Word. So we open it up and we learn it. And where does that start? Well, He tells us the very first thing to this life of submission, yielding to God. Say, okay, God, I'm done living life on my own. I'm done trying to seek purpose in this life uh, through my own eyes and my own ways. I'm going to submit to you. And how does that start? Where does it begin? Look at verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Can I just tell you simply, you know the life of Thanksgiving where it starts? It starts with being saved. Accepting that, I love this terminology, this cup of salvation. And I'll tell you right now, friend, you drink from his cup of salvation and you'll never thirst again. You'll never have a desire for eternal life. You'll never wonder what's going to happen. No, no, no. When you drink from his cup of salvation, you will never thirst again. And the psalmist says, listen, I drank of that cup. As I submitted to God and the first step of following God is saying, okay, I realize I'm a sinner, that my sin makes me deserving of hell. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I'm going to trust in him and you accept that cup of salvation The psalmist simply says this, when you accept that cup and you drink of his cup of salvation, you'll never have a regret. It'll be a life of no regrets. See, a life of thanksgiving requires and necessitates someone being saved. He made that decision. Then he goes on. It's a life of submission. It's a life of, uh, starts with being saved, a life of salvation, if we can put it that way. Then look at verses 13 and 17, if you will, specifically the last two parts we've seen in verse 13, but also the second part of 17, I will call upon the name of the Lord. It's a life of supplication. It's a supplicating life. I will call upon the Lord. What is that? Don't miss it. It's a resolution, okay? We're coming up on New Year's. We all know what a resolution is. We all know how to keep them, how not to keep them. Okay, resolution. This is a resolution, a determination of communion and fellowship with one's Lord and Savior. It's clinging to the truth and the reality that our God is just a prayer away. All I got to do is call out to him. All I have to do is call upon his name and he'll hear me. He'll incline his ear into me. Uh, He's just a prayer away, ready to deliver, ready to comfort. In the moment I say, dear Father, he hears my voice. Dear God. Oh, there's that crazy rascal Stephen Henry calling again. What's he need now? What's going on in his life? Oh yeah, I know those troubles and those sorrows he's facing. I, I know what he's going through and I'm glad he's turned to me. I'm glad he's called because I'm ready to help him. All he had to do was ask. My friend, listen, 
It is a resolution. I will call upon the Lord. He says it twice in this section. Here's the life of thanksgiving. I, I love the Lord. Why? Because he's been so good to me. I have so many benefits in my life. And so then it produces in my life a life of thanksgiving. A life of thanksgiving is a life of prayer, a life of supplication. God, help me. Lord, help me. And I'll tell you, I have lived now 40 some years, and I found out, doesn't a day go by, that if you love the Lord and you realize you have to depend on him, you don't cry out to him. Multiple times. Prayers are not just limited to a prayer closet, my friend. Prayers are found as you're walking down the street, in your car as you're driving down the road. It is prayer time every time that you need the Lord. It's so sweet to walk with a God who hears your prayers. Who you can cry out in the mind, the smallest things. I, I tell you, heaven must be sick and tired of hearing Stephen Henry pray about his lost keys. Heaven must be sick and tired of hearing Stephen Henry pray about something so small, so minuscule, so little. But I sure am thankful we serve a God that cares. God that wants to help. Call on me. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Your heavenly Father wants to give you good gifts. And hasn't he proven that true in your life? Oh, certainly he has. He loves you beyond anybody could love you. So cry out to him. Pray to him. Look at verse 14 and verse 18. Again, another repetition. He says this, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Verse 18, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Seems redundant. Seems repetitive. No, my friend, it's emphasis. He says, listen, this life of thanksgiving is a surrendered life. Surrendered life. Can I just ask you an uh, appropriation of the Bible verse? What vows have you made to God? Hmm. He said, I will pay my vow. I, it implies, certainly. I've made a vow somewhere. I've promised God something. I've, I've handed something over. I, I've opened my hands and said, okay, God, this is yours. You take it. I surrender it. Somewhere along the way, we've done that. And I think, and I would encourage you, what this baptismal represents is the time in our life when you and I realize that, yes, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm saved. And that first step of obedience is follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And we've proclaimed to a world that we are identifying with Christ and we are choosing to follow him. Can I ask you this? If you've been saved and you've been baptized, are you keeping your vow? Are you still identifying with Christ? When, when you were here in this baptismal and a, and a pastor took you and you, you were buried with him in the likeness of his death and you were raised in newness of life like Christ was, have you kept that vow of, from now on, I'm a child of the kingdom. I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you kept your vow? See, a life of thanksgiving reminds me, man, I've been given so much. I have salvation. I've, I've been able to drink of this cup of salvation. I have eternity with him. I'm going to pay my vow. I will not let it falter. I will not let it fail. Maybe in an altar like this, maybe it was this altar right here. Maybe you once prayed and you surrendered your life and everything that is in it to God. You said, God, it's yours. I give it. I surrender it as we like that, that hymn of invitation. I surrender all. And you stood here. You sat here. You knelt here. And you said, Lord, I give it all. I surrender it all. Can I ask you, what part of that vow have you taken back? Is there some part in your life, something that, that you have in your hand that you haven't relinquished, that you haven't given up? Some part of your vow that you have not fulfilled? You've kept it in your hand. See, a life of thanksgiving is daily cognizant of the reality. I want to pay my vow. The vows we've made to the Lord. 
Are you so thankful and grateful today to your God that you faithfully and continually surrender all to Him? Lord, it's yours. What you give me, every good gift that comes to me from your hand, it's yours. I surrender it. It's an act of gratitude for a believer to do such. Now, I love verse 16. Notice verse 16, if you will, with me. Notice what he says. Here's the one I am. O Lord, truly, I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thy handmaid, and thou hast loosed my bonds. You know, essentially, immediately, it's like, how does that make sense? You've loosed my bonds, and you're a servant. Here's the great truth of it. Don't miss it. It's a beautiful verse. The psalmist is now no slave to anything. He's been freed from sin and this old sinful nature. He, he is freed. He has had his bonds loosed by God. But now, now he is willingly, willingly in, held by the bonds of love. I said, no, I'm your servant now. You've freed me from that. You've, you've delivered me from that. I'm no longer a, a, a slave to sin in this nature. No, no, you freed me. Now back to verse number one. I love the Lord. I am your servant. I'm bound by love for you. And it's a position of readiness, of being absolutely and always at his disposal. God, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's a life of thanksgiving. Oh, this week you and I will say things like, I sure am thank God, thank you for this. And that's right. And that is good. We ought to do that. But can I tell you the greatest thanksgiving that God deserves is a life of thanksgiving. He deserves you and I doing these things, being a servant. And last but not least, look at verse number 17. First part. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. The life of thanksgiving is one of offered sacrifices. Christ himself demonstrated this in the upper room. I, you catch this? I, I love this. Every time we study, when we come to communion, and just before he broke the, the bread, whereas he did, we might say, understanding this, in just a few moments, uh, hours, he would be offering himself. He would be sacrificing the greatest sacrifice that could ever be given, and that was himself, dying on the cross for your sins and for mine. But before he did that sacrifice, do you realize what he did in that upper room? He took that bread, and the Bible says that he gave thanks. The sacrifice of thanks. Now, I don't know about you, but he was just a few hours from facing probably the greatest torment, terror, sorrow than any of us could ever imagine. And what is he doing in that moment? He's offering the sacrifice of thanks. And here's what's amazing to me too. He not only does it for the bread, but the Bible tells us that he then took the cup. And you know what he did again? He gave thanks. He offered the sacrifice of thanks before he offered the sacrifice of his blood shed for your sins and for mine. A great demonstration that, can I tell you, the, you and I ought to continually be offering the sacrifice of thanks. Now hear me, we're almost done. But hear me out. Young people, hear me out. I fear that we are too frequent with our complaints and criticisms to God and too infrequent with our things. It's too easy to complain. It's too easy to criticize. Things aren't right. This doesn't line up. That didn't happen that way. And boy, we are too, and we're too infrequent with God. Thank you. The thanks that we do offer, I, I fear that it is often rote and heartless. Meaningless rhetoric that lacks heart behind it. You ever catch yourself 
praying for a meal, and dear God, thank you for the food, blessed our bodies, so forth and so on. A couple minutes later, you're eating, you say, do we pray? Now don't look at me like I'm the only human here. We all have children, and that's happened. You prayed, you said thanks, but just a few minutes later, you, you've kind of forgotten you've prayed and given thanks. Was there heart there? Was it heartfelt? Because I'll tell you, friend, our God gives us every good gift. From broccoli to steak. Every good gift. And may I tell you this morning, he deserves our thanks. A sacrifice of thanks. May we, this week ahead, the month ahead, the year ahead, be full of meaningful sacrifices of thanksgiving from each of us. He deserves it. And with it, may our sacrifices of thanksgiving be propelled and moved by our love for him. Finally, this whole psalm, it ends, and I love this call, if you could say it, call to arms, and he kind of ends it, and I, I love this. I, I love at a funeral, and maybe, oh, or, or expressing someone's heart and so forth, and, and their last desire, their, their last wish is for their family to go on praising God, living for God, and that's exactly what we have here. There's a call to do what the psalmist has done through the entirety of Psalms 116. He says, listen, w- would you praise the Lord? And he finishes, I love the Lord, bookends. I love the Lord, first verse. Last verse, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. I love it. It's that call, that expression of a life of thanksgiving if we do it. You see, he has done well praising God in this psalm, and he calls you and I to do the same. I, I'm reminded of Psalm 107 in verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that the Lord would praise them. Just last night, uh, our children were going to bed. Ray, uh, Erica was helping some of the younger ones get to bed. And my six-year-old, Caden, came in. And uh, <laughs> he came to give me a goodnight hug and kiss. And uh, um, he's a rough, tough little guy and uh, very excitable and so forth. But he is tender, too. He came up to me. He, he goes, goodnight, Dad. Gave me a hug. He goes, love you. He goes, Dad. You're the best dad in the world. Now, I'll tell you, that does something for a dad. I'll tell you right now, I realize I'm not even the top million of dads, okay? I falter, I fail, I don't do great. I, so many things I could do better at. Listen, but I'll tell you, that thrilled my heart. It did something for me. Now listen to me. You and I have the one and only true God who is perfect, makes no mistakes. He is the greatest God of all, uh, compared to any of the false gods. The greatest. No mistakes. Can I just tell you this week, today, praise ye the Lord. He's the greatest. Have you told him? Three questions. Can I leave you with that as we're done? Number one, can you proclaim that you love the Lord today and your life back it up? Oh, it's easy to say, I love the Lord but there's not a life of thanksgiving that backs it up. Can you do that today? Number two, I'd ask you this question. Can you, uh, do you readily think upon and express gratitude for the many blessings and benefits you reap from the gracious hand of God? Oh, it's obviously, you say, well, we have to think about that thanksgiving. No, it ought to be a daily occurrence. We readily think upon and 
express our gratitude for those blessings and benefits. And then last but not least, I just put it succinctly this way. Are, are you living a life of thanksgiving today? A submitted life? Are you saved today? Are you surrendered? Is it a life full of supplication? Are you, is it a supplicating life? Are you a servant? And is it marked by the frequent sacrifice of thanksgiving? I, I, I leave you with this. We're done. I love what he said in verse 7. Do you need to return? Does your soul need to return until you rest today? Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for this beautiful psalm and well-written. And Father, just expresses so much what we would all desire our lives to be described as. And Father, help us in this moment now to make application of it, Lord. I, I don't know the hearts here. You certainly do. And Father, maybe there is one that needs to do exactly that, Father. They need to return unto their rest. They've neglected calling upon you, turning their, casting their cares upon you, Father. They've, uh, they've forgotten and, and neglected that you will incline your heart and ear unto them. Father, I pray that you would find us now in this moment being like this psalmist. Lord, if there are some here who have kind of hidden their love for you and have not boldly proclaimed it, I pray you convict us of that. May our lives be a life of thanksgiving that proudly proclaims that we are a follower of Jesus Christ, that we serve the God of heaven. And yet, Father, today, maybe it's simply that you, these people before us, that myself and these my friends need to fall on our faces and just thank you for the multiple blessings and benefits you've given us. Lord, I, I know there's not one here that cannot say that you have dealt bountifully with us. And we praise you for it today. May we continually offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving, not just this week of thanksgiving, but every day and every week and every month of our lives. May it be clear and obvious that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May it be obvious to others that we depend upon you through times of trouble and sorrow, good times, bad times, that we cry unto you, that you are the one that we depend upon. And Father, at the end of our lives, may we look back and may we be able to proclaim that we have found our God faithful. They tell the generations to come that we have called upon your name as long as we have lived. Lord, do a work as only you can in this invitation. And Lord, may we bring it to a culmination where it produces in us a decision. Maybe a change. Maybe we repent of something, Lord, that you've laid your finger on in these moments.